Hey everyone, Jackie here. So we all know that relationship building outside of pitching is important. We know that in theory, we should be interacting with writers on Twitter. And for some of us, it's great, it's easy, it's the best part of our jobs. But maybe for some other people like myself, admittedly, it can feel a little unnatural, maybe time consuming and just plain hard. So full disclosure, relationship building is what I struggle with the most, which I think would surprise a lot of people, right? Because that's kind of the central theme of this whole podcast. But I personally wanna change that. I want to talk to somebody that knows a little thing or two about this. And our guest today is going to school us on that. In fact, she's got real psychology to back up why intentionally building your online presence and putting in the work to actually be seen and noticed by journalists outside of the inbox is really worth the hype. So let's get to it. Our guest today is Domenica Dotavio. She's the Associate Director of Digital PR at Journey Further, a performance marketing agency. For the past eight years, Domenica has done PR across every niche, think finance, sports, even tech. And her research and advice has been featured on Moz, Marketing Land, Search Engine Journal, PR Daily, which we love, and more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Domenica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Welcome. Yes. And then you know who that is. No episode would be complete without <laughs> Britt. Say hey, Britt. Hey, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll just, just get right to it. Um, you posted something on LinkedIn that kind of piqued my attention. So about a month ago, you participated in a PR lunch hour Twitter chat uh, specifically talking about one-on-one -on -one relationship building with journalists. And you posted about it on LinkedIn. Um, you mentioned something called the mere exposure effect. It was something I had not heard of before, but I found it kind of interesting. So can you do us a favor and explain exactly what that concept is and how does it exactly tie into digital PR outreach, particularly like relationship building? Yeah, no, 100%. So one of the things that uh, I think all of us PR pros often say is that we didn't, at least many people I've met, didn't get much out of our college education. Um, the only thing I did get out of is I took a, a class called Persuasion, and it really changed the way that I I work and that I train my team to work. Um, and in that class, one of the things that I learned was called the mere exposure effect, um, basically it's a very basic theory that as soon as you hear it, you're going to be like, oh, wow, that makes perfect sense. I see it every day in my daily life. And what it states essentially is that the more I see something or someone, the more likely I am to find that thing or person likable or trustworthy. So the more familiar something it is, the more likely you are to assign trust to that. Or, um, and it, and it's as well as in interpersonal relationships as well, and not just, you know, in advertising. So I can just keep going. I mean, I have loads. <laughs> <laughs> well, just out of curiosity, curiosity, Dominica, what was the name of this class? It was called Persuasion. That's it. Oh, okay. Um, and it covered like interpersonal communication specifically, but so much of the communication we do is online, and I'm finding that it translates perfectly well. What um what was your major? Public communication. Yeah, yeah. Um, same. I graduated in 2011. 
majored in communications, radio, television, and internet media. And they threw in the internet media in my junior year, which I'm so thankful <laughs> for. But um, similarly, like, didn't take any classes that um, I really reference what I learned today, like at all. Um, in fact, I'll never forget this. I took one class in PR. That's it. And it was taught by somebody who was in his 70s, I believe. And oh my God. He, <laughs> he was so He's sweet. probably not alive anymore. I'm just kidding. I can't Sorry. even remember his name. Oh That's dark. <laughs> and, um, but he had us all make a binder. And I don't even remember what we put in the binders. It was literally oh I felt like I was scrapbooking. But anywho, Dominica, you're taking me back. And I graduated in 2011. That wasn't like it was the 90s or anything. Um, Well, um, I would say you don't want to be too harsh on on your professor because I bet a lot of what he taught you is the same thing that I'm going to be speaking about today. Because none of this, none of what I'll share, none of these theories are, you know, brand new to the Internet. You can apply them to the Internet, but they existed long before. And it's just all about uh, human behavior and interaction, you know? Right. Persuasion. Love that. Ooh, so keep talking. <laughs> so for the mere yeah, tell us more. Effect, right? Mere exposure effect is something that we train. I train all my staff immediately um, when, when they come on. And that's because it's just so, so important. Um, because right now we've all heard the statistics. We all know some journalists are getting 500 emails in their inbox, right? And that's how we primarily communicate with them. And as, as also we all know, building relationships isn't essential to earning press for your client or your brand. It's not essential, but it really, really helps. And it helps you stand out among those other 499 competitors in that inbox. You're competing for three editorial slots in that, in that writer's week, right? So you need to make sure all things being equal, if you're pitching something that's equally as high quality, equally as newsworthy as somebody else, who are they going to choose? And that is where everything I'm sharing today, that's where it really comes in. I hate to say it, but unconscious bias plays a huge role in picking between two equal things. And by building relationships with journalists and using some of these tactics and just kind of understanding how people think and how people work can help you get an edge in a really competitive PR world. Um, so one thing I think you, you referenced it earlier, Jackie, that I recommend is just very, very basic, right? So remember that the more I see something or someone, the more likely I am to find that thing or person like, likable or trustworthy. So repetition is your friend here. If you want to stand in that out in that inbox with 500 other people competing with you, all the, the quality of the content you're pitching aside, right? All things being equal. The first thing I recommend you do is be consistent across, very tactical, be consistent across all of your social media and email profiles. So if my name is Domenica Dottavio on my email and my picture is me um, with, I don't know, autumn leaves behind me as my profile picture, that same profile picture should be on my LinkedIn on my Twitter, any platform that I'm using to interact with the journalists, my same spelling of my name, that should be um, up front and center so that over time, even if you you don't win the pitch, you know, on your first or second try, and you, it takes months really for you to get 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 attention, over time they, they will recognize you. 
Um, and I'll give you guys some time to react to that. So I'm just like going on. Yeah, I break that rule 100%. Um, and I've I met with people in real life at conferences who, <laughs> when I went up to them, I was asked like, wait, I thought you were blonde. And I'm like, um, and I had to think about it. And I'm like, yeah, I was blonde like two years ago. And <laughs> they, would, they were referencing like a webpage I was on, like a social media account from who knows what website many years ago. Uh, so it's proof. They really are paying attention. And if you confuse people like I have done in the past, it's not, it's not ideal. So gosh, we could probably do a whole episode where you just like give me recommendations, but we're not going to do that because I don't want to be totally embarrassed. But that is, that's really good advice. That's actually, that was the point that kind of drew me in where I was like, oh yeah, it seems so obvious, but at the same time, we're not all doing this. Um, so like, this is maybe a dumb question, but let's say you change your haircut or your makeup style or you dye your hair. Are you changing your photo often or do you believe in keeping the same photo for many years? Cause that's another thing I've noticed is meeting a journalist in real life and being like, Ooh, you look like 20 years older than your, your photo. Like that's, I don't know. Like, I guess so, the purpose is consistency, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I had the same, listen, I had the same picture for over six years. It was a picture somebody took at a wedding uh, and it was the best picture of me. And nice. so I used it and I never changed it because I never got a better one. But I'm also not the type of PR that's going into a lot of in-person meetings. I do go to conferences, but you know, I'm not in person that much. So for me, that doesn't matter as much. I think that if you're more person to person, face to face type of PR, yeah, it would be important to keep keep your pictures up to date. Because at the end of the day, if you're emailing, they're going to recognize you from the avatar that you've used for the last five years, right? So it doesn't really matter if it if it actually looks like you today. Yeah, right, it's makes like sense. having a digital footprint that's all uniform. Yeah, I did. I did make my LinkedIn and Twitter the same photo. So I'm, I'm getting there. And I think I do <laughs> with consistency. Yeah, I, I don't ever. Jacqueline is the professional name I chose. So if anyone else is out there and goes by two different names, pick one and stick to one. That's that's really good advice. Right. Um, is there anything else like that we're yeah, overlooking? Exactly. Like something obvious that people don't do that they should be doing in relation to this? Consistency, yeah, is the first principle of mere exposure, right? But the second thing is repetition. It doesn't matter how consistent you are if you're actually not interacting with a journalist, right, regularly. Um, because, you know, it's based on familiarity. It's based on on often seeing your face come up or your name come up. So you're just going to want to show genuine interest and appreciation in a journalist's work. And the keyword there is really genuine. Don't, um, you know, make make anything up or, or be inauthentic. If you're not in the mood to go on Twitter and authentically re interact with journalists in your list, then just don't do it. Um, the key is like, journalists are human beings, which is something that people in digital PR especially forget every single day. I see things on Twitter all the time that I just categorically disagree with because the the person tweeting is forgetting the fact that journalists are human beings at the end of a screen and they want real interaction just like anybody else. I think that our relationships with them aren't one-sided. And so as much as this podcast that I'm recording is going to sound like sheer manipulation using all of these persuasive no. techniques, the reality is that you just have to be authentic with them and then it's it's perfectly okay it's actually a really nice life skill to learn outside of work as well so how often is too often to be reaching out to people the, the same person let's say um do you bug do you bug them 
daily, weekly, monthly, or is it more organic than that? You see something that they t- they tweet, uh, you read an article they wrote, and you really appreciate their point of view, give it a share with a little bit of commentary. You can always just send a like. You know, it doesn't have to be intense. Maybe, for example, they share a funny joke or a picture of their dog. You can keep it about more lighthearted topics as well. The idea is just is to differentiate yourself. Listen, the reality is, yes, they're out of the 500 people, we might have 100 people in that inbox that are like you, that really care about the work, that really are offering something of value, that really want to build relations with the journalists. How many of those people are spending the time and energy getting to know these people on a one-to-one basis? Not that many. And that's why this is all about standing out. Um, I think it's better to interact on Twitter, keep it lighthearted. And then when you have something, it does seem more authentic. It does seem like you've been following them for a while. They'll recognize you rather than keeping it strictly to email and just sending one email after the other, asking them for coverage. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I like what you said earlier. All things equal. If they're considering, let's say, something you're pitching versus something else that might be just as good, I do I do believe that they would pick the person that they have a better relationship with. Why wouldn't they? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, listen, our, our industry is not the same industry that it was 10 years ago. You don't just email BuzzFeed and then get... Uh, as, much, as fun as that was, which it was, you don't, you can't just do that anymore and just get coverage very easily. Um, all of our competitors are getting smarter. The industry is educated. Um, we all have shared our own thought leadership and one of the best parts about being in this industry. And so everyone's quality of work is really high. Um, so you should assume all things are equal. Uh, but the key is that, and, and the, this conversation means nothing if what you're sending this journalist isn't of high quality. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like you can be as likable and trustworthy as possible. Uh, You can be their number one, you know, BFF. They're not going to cover your work if it's not in alignment with their publisher needs, their their needs as journalists, their readership. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm seeing consistency, persistence. Are there any other principles, any other sort of tactics that could be utilized and leveraged based off of for the mere exposure effect, the mere exposure yeah for the mere exposure effect no definitely not I, that you know it's a, it's a very simple thing um and it's been studied so much that it's it's not really a theory it's it's more of it's more of a well-known Fact. kind of principle of human behavior yeah um there's another theory though that i want to bring up that can help you i think because one thing that staff has come have come to me how do i do this without being inauthentic i have nothing to say to this person i don't know how to relate to this person like what am i supposed to say here um well this this theory and excuse me if i if i can't pronounce it anonymity yes so anonymity and the identifiable other this is a little bit less known but it's just as you know it's just as no-brainer as the other one um which is the degree to which we perceive someone to be like ourselves yep. and to be worthy of our assistance, right? Depends on the extent in which we perceive a personal connection with that person. So mere exposure effect is all about being consistent about your platforms and your name and your, your image and interaction. Anonymity and the identifiable other is about connecting with that journalist. This will be the second step, I think, of the building relationships 
with something that you with a shared commonality, no matter how small it is. So if this journalist is an animal lover, you might say, I love, you know, the picture of your parakeet. I used to have a parakeet as a child, only if it was true, something like that. Or I LOL to your joke about Harry Potter, Severus Snape was my least favorite character too. Like literally could be, I could come up with these for days because I, I was doing it for a very long time. Um, but just something to break the ice, something to say you and I are similar in some way. Um, no matter how trivial it is, that's they will perceive you as worthy of a favor, which is that key part of this of this theory. And that favor is, yeah, I will write about your story. That is interesting. Versus somebody else who just says, hey, cover my cover my shit. No, I'm going to choose the person that said that they like parakeets. You know, I'm going to choose the person that said they like whatever <laughs> Harry Severus Snape. I don't know. So what if they... Does that make sense? It does, but... What do you guys mm-hmm. think? I've tried this tactic in the past. Uh, actually, that was kind of like what we did when we when I first started working with you, Britt. Um, but I found that, and maybe there was more to it, but like I, if a lot of times they would just ignore me um, and it would be something as simple as that. And I'm just wondering, is it okay that they ignore you? Do you just keep trying? Is that where persistency comes in? Or like, how do you read that? Because I'm sure you've tried this and there had to have been some people kind of being like, oh, you're a PR person. I'm smiling. I'm, yes, tell me. Exactly. I'm laughing right now to myself because everybody who works in this industry knows it's a thankless job. I mean, true. Oh, thankless. The amount of <laughs> no responses that you get, that's so normal. It's so normal not to be not to get a response. It's that's expected. Norm, right? Yeah. The, it's expected. Um, so, yeah, it's completely normal. And you know what? I will say... One thing that I will say is that I've worked on, on several teams um, and the team that I worked on that did this is the team that got, I mean, hundreds of emails from journalists, not every single day, of course, but over time saying, this is the best pitch that I've ever gotten. This is the best pitch I've ever gotten. Do you know what it feels like to to say, oh, I spent about five minutes researching this journalist and then I sent this email. And that work paid off to the degree that this journalist, out of all of the other people that have pitched them, said, this is the best pitch. And every single time, it was because of one of these personal connections. Yeah, it makes sense. So what you're getting at is even if they're ignoring you, it doesn't mean they're not paying attention, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, if they're ignoring you, oftentimes it has nothing to do with you. Don't you feel that way? Sometimes it's like they don't have room in their calendar. They're, they've already chosen another story for that week. Maybe your pitch wasn't, maybe maybe it wasn't interesting to them. You know, maybe what you're pitching isn't interesting to them. It's not a science, is it, really? No. No, it's not. I, I think we all have to just get used to it. Do you know one time, shout out to my former colleague, Katie, you guys might think this is funny. She pinged me once and goes, do you guys ever go run your hands under hot water after a long day of no email responses just to feel something? Oh, Oh my gosh, that's so sad. (laughs) But also very true. Yes, that's hilarious. Um, I do feel like some journalists um, do have different preferences though. And it is, it can be a matter of learning those preferences before you're too personal and, and friendly with them. 
And we tend to ask some people, especially if we notice that they are very active on Instagram or even Twitter as well, and we've had mixed responses. Generally, I'd say a lot of them are like, yes, of course, please follow me and just don't pitch me via DM. Um, some do actually, though, say like, yeah, you can send me a DM pitch. Uh, it's just, it's you're, like you said, Dominica, it's not a science. And um, for me, the hardest part is deciphering whether or not that person actually enjoys being treated as a friend and not I don't know I'm always like I don't want to seem manipulative that's my number one uh, worry um but yeah I I tend and now I'm kind of just change I'm not trying to change the subject but just to speak from a personal perspective on all of this um I also am trying to take a break from being on social media too much just for my mental health and um Twitter is like I'm slowly starting to use that less and less because of just things related to who owns Twitter. And um, also just, again, like sometimes it's very doom and gloomy. And um, I am trying to to kind of counteract my lack of involvement on Twitter and even Instagram. I am trying to use LinkedIn a little more. I've made it a personal goal moving forward over the next few months to actually connect with journalists that I'm pitching. And if they're active on LinkedIn, engaging with their posts, resharing their work, and kind of keeping it there because I feel like it's more of a professional space. And um, at the same time, though, it might make me lose out on those personal connections. Like I know there are some journalists that I follow on Instagram and when I was using it more often, I would interact a lot with their stories, especially if they're sharing cute animal things um, and all of that. But yeah, now I'm just going off on a tangent. Um, How do you guys feel about LinkedIn? I think what you said is really on point. Twitter, especially in our industry, is hit or miss. One day it's community over competition. And the next day, you know, everyone is coming for you about something that you said that was misconstrued and I think a lot of people I've noticed especially a lot of people um Brit who have taken a step back from Twitter and these are people that used to be you know premier thought leaders in the space like in our industry taking a step back citing mental health so I think that what you're what you're trying to do by taking a step back is completely it's really common actually right now And then for LinkedIn, you're still doing, you know, all of that stuff that you said, that's still a mere exposure effect on LinkedIn, but you're right. It is a more professional space and that's completely fine too. It definitely works. Um, I just find that journalists are less accessible on LinkedIn than they are on Twitter because some journalists won't want to connect with you unless, you know, they've worked with you like on the editorial team or something at their publisher, if that makes sense. That makes complete yeah, sense. Yeah, I stick with something. I'm I stick with LinkedIn when I've worked with them before. What are you worried about? Oh, just that they'll find it odd that I'm connecting with them on LinkedIn since I've not worked with them professionally. I've had pretty decent luck with LinkedIn. I fe- it feels natural to me, I think. But like you said, it's still it's still the same theory. It's just a different platform. And if anything, you can utilize it as another tool in your toolbox, right? As a publicist, it's yeah. not just Twitter. It can be LinkedIn. Um, and just being like, not weird about it. Like, 
like you said, I don't know. I, I personally wouldn't connect on LinkedIn with a journalist I haven't worked with. But like when we do this podcast, for instance, you better believe I'm going to be adding like our guests and then like people that I've worked with in the past. And I've had journalists interact with me on LinkedIn and even like some of my posts. So I, I, I actually really, really enjoy it as a platform. Uh, well, sort of. I, the content can be hit or miss, but I think in terms of evening the playing field between journalists and um, publicists, I think that's one way in which it does start to feel a little less thankless is when we kind of level up and kind of are treated, we're treating each other as more like colleagues rather than me begging for something, if that makes sense. But I think it really comes with time once you're- That's such a good point. Right, but it's when you, but it's after you've made those connections. So I think Twitter's like, you could view Twitter as like top of funnel almost, uh, email being like center. I guess it's like the core, right? How you get to work with them. And then once that like barrier has been broken and you guys know each other really well, take it to LinkedIn and really solidify it or meet them at the conference they're going to go to. I think that's like, I don't know, that's just icing on the cake, but it makes the whole thing work really well. Um, I guess I do have thoughts about 100%. these things. Right? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? In fairness, you're really you're really practicing all of this, especially when you bring it offline and you you really make what is the the true personal connection when you see them in person. If you don't think that they're going to be more likely to like you and trust you mm -hmm. after they meet you in person, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like that's like the the icing on the cake. That um, you know, to speak to that too is like if you even the smallest thing perceive them to be like us um and actually we met years ago dominica i don't know if you remember at fincon um that was i do remember yeah um so i when i worked in the student loan industry um the moment i stepped foot at fincon and i actually started meeting these people in person changed everything i know we don't all have that privilege of being able to meet in person but it ties into your theory this idea that we have something in common, therefore I'm going to trust you more and I owe you a favor. Uh, maybe they're not literally in their brains thinking like, I owe Jackie a favor. But I, I know for a fact that when I started meeting with people in real life, my pitches got responded to more. I was interacted with on Twitter. Sometimes they would interact with me first and it really does even the playing field. So to your point, like, Maybe I'm not like a huge fan of being like, I like your cute animal pics or whatever. There is something there to it. You know, maybe that's the beginning of it, but then you, you, you go deeper the more you get into it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really cool. I do have one more question um, before we kind of get into more sure. other stuff. So we've talked about the theories that you have in your back pocket and forgive me, but I believe that's it, right? Like you don't have another theory in your other pocket, do you? We can talk again about this, like this all things being equal thing. I like that a where lot. competition is, is stronger than ever. Your, you know, your story is as good as it's going to get. Yep. Their story is as good as it's going to get. Like, and then they're going on the choose. So the relationship building is key. But how do you get to the all things being equal? How do you really? So when you can't make a personal connection with someone, you are tapped out. You're like, I have nothing. There's nothing I can relate to this person. We don't have a shared commonality. In fact, maybe they're super, you know, it could be that they don't have a digital footprint that you can really look into. And so all you have is, I got this great story. I know it would be perfect for this journalist and for this journalist audience. I know it would be. 
how do you still rise above the noise and and get chosen to be the lucky person in that uh, editorial slot that week? Well, there's there's three other things. So when it comes to persuasion that you can kind of leverage if, you know, you have the time and the energy to think about this. But in um, in one of my favorite books called uh, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion, the author I think Chaldi or something, I can't remember. He says, you know, there's six six principles of persuasion. So three of them really have to do with what we've already spoken about. But the other three is authority, scarcity, and social proof. So this is how you can be persuasive with what you have without trying to, you know, say that you like somebody's dog or whatever, without trying to be personally relatable. You can rely on these three things that will help you to become more persuasive in what you're pitching. So the first one is authority. And this is like the easiest thing to do if you know that your content and whatever you're pitching is primed, you know, it's it's completely as good as it's going to get. So if you're authoritative or credible or knowledgeable, you're an expert in your field or your client is an expert in their field, you're going to be much more persuasive than the same thing coming from somebody else. And so if your client is the best person to be speaking about this topic, if the data you're offering in this content is is sound and it's backed by statistical testing, if you have an expert in your back pocket that can speak about a particular niche this journalist is into, say those things. Um, start with the content and say those things. This, hey, in a new statistically t- tested study with p-values of above one or whatever it is, right? Or say, my client who has... 20 years experience in the XYZ industry uh, offers this expert comment, yep. whatever it is, may, just just share the authoritativeness of what you're, what you're pitching. That's going to help you stand out. The second one here that I mentioned is scarcity. Um, and so this has to do very simply with what are you offering them and them alone? What are you offering this journalist that nobody else can get? And that offer means offering them the exclusive. And I always offer, offer the exclusive. I always tell everybody I on my team to offer the exclusive until they can't anymore. So until that that story gets covered to offer the exclusive to a journalist. I've surveyed, you know, I've done surveys of 500 journalists before in the past. A good amount of them said they only cover stories if it's exclusive. So it's a great thing to include in your subject line. Great thing to include up front. This story is exclusive to you at Business Insider or at Newsmax or wherever you're pitching. Um, they want to know that they're the first and, and the only. And if you can't offer the exclusive, say it's publicly available, it's already been covered, you can offer something else that's exclusive to them, like a expert quote, you know, um, something that somebody else doesn't have, and you can and you can highlight that in your pitch. And finally, the third thing here is social proof. Social proof is really important, and you don't always have it, um, especially if you're new and you're starting out, you don't have it. If your client is new and it's brand new to the market, they don't have it. But if you have it, you should use it. So a lot of times, I know we all know this, sometimes we pitch a writer and they're like, you know what, I'm not the best fit, but I'll forward you to my colleague because I think this would be a good fit for their beat. They're currently writing something about this. So let me let me uh, give you their email, contact them. If that ever happens to you, first thing that you should do when you're emailing, subject line. Jane Doe told me, you know, to get in touch. Your colleague, comma, Jane Joe, Jane Doe said uh, you'd be the best person here. That social proof means everything. Um, and 
and another way you can use social proof too if you have it only if you have it is in your email signature you can say best companies to work for you can say three times new york times placed i don't know you can say things that beef you up a little bit oh the new york times like you know works with domenica i want to work with them you know that is basically what it is i really like that last tip yeah and it could be helpful that is super helpful and um that's one we haven't been given yet so i appreciate those um just going back to the exclusive how do you approach that because i know sometimes journalists can get very annoyed with that (laughs) term and it's only because some prs and i'm not saying you do this abuse the term exclusive so when you're pitching the exclusive do you how do you do that to not offend or like to upset a journalist for example yeah no it's a great question um it's a sensitive topic as well so i'm glad you asked it the the best thing to do when you're offering exclusive is say if this is a piece of content that's hosted on site password protect that content so that the journalist is, is signaled to the journalist that it is exclusive and then send it listen open rates, response rates are not very high in, in 2022. So I say, go ahead and send it to, you know, your top five or 10 journalists that you think, you know, are absolutely perfect and hope and pray that they respond and hope and pray that not more than one of them responds because then you're in trouble. Right. Um, but that's, that has happened once in my entire, uh, eight year career that I, I know of where two people were interested on the same day. And in that case, you just have to vary honestly let one of them know it's no longer an exclusive Ooh. and they do get upset that's my worst nightmare once. i was gonna say yeah it's never happened i i stopped pitching exclusives a long time ago but when i did do that that was always my biggest fear and it never happened well, yeah but I, that's crazy so it happened one time it to you to me once. did that has it ever happen to you Britt? i can't remember um it was just so long ago that i really lived on that um, or like made that made the case for that. Um, but I remember being very <laughs> cautious. Um, and at first I was very willy nilly about it. And, um, and now I think I just got so paranoid. I couldn't sleep at night. So now I avoid that strategy. I think the way that you're describing doing this Domenica makes sense. I mean, it doesn't sound like you're like back in the day when I was doing this, I would send it to as many, you know, it was a kind of numbers game back in 20 or 2012, let's just say. And um, now it sounds like you said five folks, sometimes you'll just email a password protected. Yeah. And the likeliness of all five of those people opening that email within the, um, the next 24 hours is very low. And Unless you have a relationship with them. I'm imagining that's when the relationship factor is super helpful because if you've pitched the exclusive to five people that you have strong relationships with, they're more likely to open it within the next 24 hours. You might even be able to rely on pitching that exclusive to one person and know that they'll get back to you within a day so that you can then, if they say no, move on to the next person who might you know might be a, a good fit for um, and you'll be able to hear back from them. I 100% agree with you. 100% agree with you. In the case that you have like a relationship, just send it to them and them alone and wait, see what happens. But the key is like, 
hundred percent relationships. That's where it really comes into to play. But when you're, you're allowed to offer the exclusive to somebody, if they don't respond within 24 hours, you're allowed to offer it to somebody else. I mean, we're not beholden to wait, you know, two weeks for a journalist to respond. Um, but yeah, you're right. You're playing with fire when you do it that way. Right. Just as long as the, the content is the best thing that you've ever produced in the world, uh, I think you'd be and all right. And that's a really but good point. If it's something that you know is- That's a really good point to explicitly yeah. say if you are pitching an exclusive, I think it's really key to say, I ha- I'm giving you this exclusive for the next 24 hours. If I don't hear back from you, um, we'll be moving on. <laughs> Maybe in a nicer way than that, but that's a good call out too. And probably that's why journalists can be so- upset about the the term exclusivity and have mixed feelings about it because um, we've we've been as an industry um, using this tactic and talking about it and people who aren't as privy to or like you know are careless about their approach have um, as all things usually um, come to they've abused it you know it was all strategies have in the internet marketing world all strategies eventually can be abused (laughs) i do want to say to your point about like if you know talking about um lead with authority scarcity and social proof yes i know how to take notes um but no those are great points um if the person you're trying to reach out to has no twitter following or they're just totally boring on twitter and you can't relate to them at all Um, I've done email intros with clients that are, like you said, those kinds of clients that have that authority. They've been in the field for about 20 years. Uh, They have their social proof. They've been featured in New York Times. And something as far as an email that simply says who your expert is and what you guys can um, provide, what we can provide to the journalist and that we look forward to pitching them in the future, that's a form of utilizing that theory that you described and it works because we've talked to journalists on our podcast and they do despite having hundreds of emails they do read it so if one email is not a pitch but it's simply a hey hey here's who i am here's who my client is there's a good chance they're filing that away and keeping that in mind for the future and that's a tactic that really works and doesn't involve being on twitter talking about animals so there's ways to do this that's authentic to you in your branding it just depends on what you're working with right yeah, I mean that's that's incredible to hear that you you've noticed it in real life working. I yeah. mean everything every all of this is anecdotal, right? You can't really get the data behind these theories, but I'm but sure they work, they right? Because it goes based on years of pitching. Persuasion is like you said, it goes back to way before internet, the dawn of time. It's just the tools in which you apply what you know. Like you can you can do it in any form of communication, right? It doesn't have to be Twitter, it can be like you said, LinkedIn, if it makes sense, email or phone. I don't want to say phone, but there are, we did have one journalist that likes to talk on the phone. So they're out there. You just have to figure out who those people are, right? (laughs) I get on the phone once I email them. You know, if they email me and say, I want to interview, I say, sure, no problem. Yeah, get on the phone. But other than that, I'm a millennial. Yeah. I I text. I don't want to talk on the phone. I don't either. I prefer not to. If I don't have to, <laughs> I have texted. I've had. We were all on the same page. Yeah, I think so. Britt, have you ever called a journalist? I mean, aside from, I'm sure we've all been on the phone with a journalist or editor that's like, hey, call me. But have you, Britt, ever, like, I had to cold call actually back in 20, 
sorry not to interrupt my own self and my own thoughts, but I think back in 2009 or 10 at an internship at a PR firm, way back in the day, I had to cold call journalists and it was one of the worst experiences of my life because now I can, I can cold call somebody now probably and sound professional, but you have to think as a mortified like 19 year old or 20 year old, however old I was back then. Oh my God. That was, it was rough. Like shaky voice, could barely hold the phone to my face. Person on the other line being like, why are you calling me right now? No, I'm not going to go to your event. Like that was, I'm glad those days are over. Um, but Britt, have you ever had to do anything like that? I did. Yeah. Out of the traditional PR agency, similar situation. And then now, and then in like a digital, you know, PR earned media world, I only get on the phone if they request it. What were you saying earlier, Domenica? I feel like you had something funny to say about the phone call thing. I feel like you were about to say something. I'm just cracking up because that story is so funny. (laughs) And I can imagine. I remember when I went on my first video interview, uh, I was, you know, like three months into the job. Mm -hmm. And it was like, literally, I think I was sick to my stomach because I was just so nervous. But it sounds like that's why you guys are such legends in this industry because you were forced to do something seriously so traumatic yeah and if you're not resilient after no kidding after that you'll never you're never gonna be resilient so true god it's so true we've been i've definitely had some i i don't know i'm sure i've blocked out a lot of bad moments but yeah it was it was a rough start but i'm i'm glad i really glad the way the industry has like shifted um and uh, I think we're all better off for it. And I am curious about the future of Twitter, considering, um, you know, what's going on with it. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. And I think, I don't know, I think that there's this overarching theme here that we got to remember is that, you know, the theories you're talking about, again, it's not necessarily has to do with the tools in which you use it, but it's something as old as like, the history of time and like it's our jobs to stick with the times and be fluid with how we interact with people and to just utilize those principles of being um, noticed and having that social proof and coming across as very um, not just professional but knowledgeable and all those things and then yeah I think I think it's great I really like the way you think Domenica I, I really liked all of these theories you presented yeah well thanks I mean what else are you going to do? This is our, this is our life. Yeah. Right? You got to do something. You figure out how to cut through the noise. <laughs> yeah. got to do something, especially so competitive now. Oh um, my God. But no I will kidding. say, you know, it's so competitive. We're still doing all right because I think these things still work. Yeah, um, absolutely. They definitely still work. That's great. And if you're new to the industry, I will say you do not need to have a relationship with a journalist mm-hmm. in order to get coverage. You, everybody starts from somewhere. I remember my first job, I think it took me almost two and a half months to get my first placement. Yep. I went into work that week thinking, if I don't get something today, I am going to get fired. And then I will not have dental insurance. And then all mm-hmm. these other things, like so stressed out. Eventually, you figure it out. You get those placements. And then that person, that first person I placed with that first time, ended up being my most reliable contact for five years later, five years to come. Um, so like they just happen uh, mm-hmm. over time. So you can start from scratch. Absolutely. Okay. It's shout out time. 
Domenica, do you want to give a couple shout outs to some people in the industry? Yeah. So uh, the first thing I think it goes without saying, so I work with someone called Beth Nunnington um, and she leads uh, digital PR at where I work at Journey Further. Um, and she has been speaking often and writing about relevance in digital PR. So for anybody who's listening, who's really cued into the SEO value of digital PR and, and, and maybe less traditional She's do it. She does a really good talk on relevance. Um, it's on Search Engine Journal right now, but there's loads of places that you can find it. Um, and I think that it's great. And she's doing it all the time. So if you if you missed it, she'll do it. She'll do another one. And it's just really insightful, um, you know, on creating content that's just that's really relevant to the niche rather than just anything that will stick. Um, I think it's kind of turning the whole world of. KPIs and and how we measure success on its head. Um, Great, which is really cool. And then the, the other thing, the other person I want to shout out to is I always have to give a shout out to Tamara Sykes, um, who's over at Stacker. She's the one that's been you know really showing, opening my eyes to this idea in our industry of community over competition. She does loads of cool things. She's over at Stacker. Um, but overall, just like a, a wonderful, wonderful person to have in your corner and just sharing like absolute legendary advice also about PR and um, tactics and things over on her Twitter. So I definitely recommend following I her. I think Amanda Milligan gave her a shout out. Written sounds very familiar. So that's really cool. To have her on the podcast. I know. Now that's definitely, definitely. Yeah, we will. After her. Yes. Great. Those thank are you. wonderful shout outs. Thank you. And thanks for coming on, Dominica. This was so fun. And like I said, we got into the weeds on some really specific topics that we haven't done so before. So thank you for coming to the table with those. Thank you. I'm so glad that you guys invited me. It was so nice to meet you and speak to you, uh, Jackie and Britt, yeah. like in person or on, I guess, <laughs> for the first time. Yes, definitely. Likewise.